Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Bomber here. Very pleased today to be joined by Cynthia Knabel, who is the founder and CEO of Series Ed, an educational publishing company. We're going to be talking about trends in educational publishing. And Cynthia has a long and interesting career in education that we're going to be diving into. But before we do any of that, I just want to welcome you to Trending in Education. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you're someone who has been in the education space for quite some time, and we always love to ask our guests for their origin story as we we kick things off. To begin, can you catch us up on who you are and what has gotten you to this point in your professional life? I've always been a writer, storyteller kid from growing up nerdy and being not at all athletic. I, I had an incident in first grade where we played dodgeball still with those horrible red balls that hurt like hell when you get hit by one. And I was the last to always get picked, of course. And then on the other side was Mark Watley, the most amazing athlete in the first grade. And I would just hide behind the other kids and wait and then Mark Watley would throw the ball at me so hard that it would stick in my chest, literally. And then I win. <laughs> and one day, Mark threw it at me so hard it bloodied my nose and it knocked out my first tooth. Wow. And then rolled into my arms and I won, bloodied but unbowed. And I wrote a story about it. I wrote my first short story and I thought, this is turning defeat into victory. This is my power. This is my superpower. I can tell a story about this, even though I basically got my butt kicked. And yeah. so. That's what I've tried to carry through is like, I have power to tell, to impart information, to tell stories, to talk to people and to communicate in this way. And so that's the shape that my career took. Mm -hmm. uh, I wound up in New York City, like anybody who wants to start some kind of writing or editing career back in the early nineties, not really knowing what I was doing. I thought I was going to be Truman Capote, basically. <laughs> I was going to be Truman Capote, but I needed money. And I saw a tiny little ad in the back of the New York Times. It was a, a weekday ad, even just not even a Sunday ad, just a little blurb. And I answered it, they needed a freelance editor, some company on the Upper West Side. And so I, one of my first subway rides to the Upper West Side uh, and it's an apartment address. So I wander through the halls of this apartment thinking, oh no, I'm gonna be one of those cautionary tales that they tell back home in Alabama about girls who go to the big city <laughs> and wind up with their heads in soup pots or something like that. So I said, turns out it was a real gig and it was the Princeton Review when they were just starting out and they needed freelance writers for a couple of their very first books. And that turned into a full-time job. And I wound up being the editor-in-chief at the Princeton Review when they were first starting their test preparation line, and hmm. as well as some of their own books now, including like their guides to colleges and graduate school programs and things like that. I started off there at the Princeton Review when it was just really in its startup mode. And as a separate episode, you and I may go deep because my origin story has a lot of uh, Kaplan test prep in it. So we can follow up maybe as a bonus episode for those who want to dive deeply because you piqued my interest <laughs> and my curiosity around the old days of the, the Princeton Review. Uh, but that was really in the 90s. And then you founded a Series Ed in the late 90s, I believe. Is that correct? I started off after I left New York and went to Austin, which is where we're located now to go to graduate school. And the idea was at the time was I was going to finish my doctorate and go uh, teach English. And then I got derailed because I kept taking more writing projects, former publishing colleagues, and that kind of mushroomed into a, a business where I take larger projects and take on helpers, et cetera, et cetera. So that started in the nineties and I founded a separate company. A Series Ed was founded in 2012, same kind okay. of thing, but bigger. 
mm-hmm. um, more capabilities, multimedia, arts, graphics, digital products, as well as print products. So yes, and since the late 90s, that's what I've been doing. We're growing into serving educational content providers, whether they're publishers or charitable organizations or what have you. Yeah, that's quite a span of time. Any observations you've had? Are there broader trends you're noticing around education, educational publishing that our listeners might be interested in? Yeah, I think this revolution that we've seen in social media and the ways people are able to communicate with each other, we see that happening in, in society in general, in social media, and in, and it's an, a kind of empowerment with a good side and a bad side, but it's really empowering a lot of people who before would have been kept out of the the ways to get their message out there. You'd have to go through some gatekeeper, like a magazine or a newspaper or a local newsletter even to get your message out. Now people can speak directly to each other Mm -hmm. on a broader scale. Uh, That hasn't really gotten to education yet. People still need to go through gatekeepers and gatekeepers are, you know, the big publishers and they're trying to adapt and change and figure out ways to reflect new voices. But I think what's going to happen, my prediction, this might not be a trend, this is a prediction in education, Sure. is that that we're going to have people take things more into their own hands. And that's what we like to do at Series Ed is really empower a whole new generation of people to make a difference in the generation that follows them and yeah. how people are educated and uh, how their own stories get told and get woven into our big story, our mm-hmm. American history story, that kind of thing. So yeah. I'm, I'm really about that feeling that I had when I got to write a story in first grade, <laughs> giving that feeling to somebody else, giving that power to communicate and have that story told uh, in the educational sphere. Can you describe for us who Series is and who you work with on a typical project? Sure. Series is an educational content development company. So our bread and butter are large educational publishers and test developers or test preparation companies. So those are our two core areas. But we have been trying more to be able to help smaller startups like ed tech companies who are, I think, maybe struggling to get their content needs met. So we're trying to rethink our process, which has been developed in order to suit the needs of large publishers, in order to suit the needs of ed tech startups. Mm-hmm. And I think some very exciting results will come from that peanut butter and chocolate kind of combination. I'm hoping yeah. anyway, I'll be peanut butter or chocolate in that relationship either way. <laughs> That's good to know. And and then just to, to clarify too, like you can purpose build content across a pretty broad spectrum of domains. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And when I, and when I say content, when we started off in 1999, that meant words, basically. When I say content now, it could mean obviously words, but also infographics, also multimedia, animation, audio, all the kinds of services that would go along with creating a, a modern educational product, which, you know, usually involves both print and uh, digital components. Yeah. And then you have access to uh, subject matter experts, curriculum writers. Can you talk about that side of your universe? Yes, absolutely. It's one of our greatest assets because uh, since my time at the Princeton Review back in the early 90s, I've been cultivating. Oh, it's a Rolodex. For for our listeners, Cynthia has pulled out a Rolodex, which is very (laughs) exciting. It is packed full of contacts. (laughs) that's not where they're actually stored. This is really just an artifact because I can't get rid of my Rolodex, but I've carefully cultivated over the years, a a group of more than 500 subject matter experts. And these Mm -hmm. are people that we trust, that we work with, that we know are good, that are not just experts in their subjects, but are able to take that expertise and create excellent educational material. 
Uh, and those two things don't necessarily, you can't just hire any old PhD and expect them to be able to not only teach it, but teach through writing or teach through multimedia. That's a different kind of skill. And, and I can say that Series Ed has been successful in gathering that kind of freelance staff. So we do offer that to our clients. And it's a great thing to be able to do because it, it's like a wonderland. They're like, yes. We can have a chemistry person. We can have three chemistry people. And that's all we can offer them. Exactly. Well, and then you were talking about how there's contacts you've had over the years, but you're also looking to to tap into other folks who may find a pathway similar to yours in education, frankly, even similar to mine, where people... Uh, from diverse backgrounds just need to understand that there is a pathway and that they can find fulfillment and get paid to write and get paid to develop a curriculum. Yes, absolutely. The internship program that we're running uh, this summer at, at the Baker School, which is our new headquarters here in Austin, it's very close to the University of Texas at Austin. So we're bringing in a bunch of kids who are still here for the summer and we're building a whole bunch of stuff, some of which is secret. My press, but also their writing, alt text, for example, which is the kind of text that appears uh, on screens for visually impaired and blind students, reads out descriptions of images on the screen. They're getting the chance to do that, which is really cool. And they, you know, actually enjoy very much. And we're doing some QA for some other uh, accessibility uh, issues. And I'm trying to train them uh, as a diverse group, which they are a very diverse group in every which way they could be. And it's so much fun because they're just getting seen and heard and, mm-hmm. and respected. And, and I hope that if they don't choose to stay and work with me, that they go out and that this is something, you know, that they pass on. And then that's very gratifying yeah. as well. Who are the, the people who create the educational content? Can you describe the teams you work with and the authors? And, and what does it take uh, for a bill to become a law as far as uh, educational content goes? <laughs> yes, absolutely. What we've traditionally done is we'll take on custom projects for larger publishers and in a sense operate as an external editorial wing for them. Mm-hmm. So much of what you would find at a traditional publisher, we can offer from researchers, writers, editors, subject matter experts, uh, designers, uh, whatever the project might entail. We'll take all all of that in-house and uh, create a product to the specifications of the client. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're also getting more and more interested in bringing some of our clients together and creating projects collaboratively or even trying to to start up some of our own simple uh, projects with the aim of giving voice to some of the people who might not usually be represented in uh, traditional educational publishing. Yeah, I'd love to get a little more from you on the mission and the vision for what you're doing at Series Ed in this very transformative uh, time period that we're living in. But you had a, a pretty steady run through the, the early 2000s, and then the pandemic hit and the awakening around social justice and Black Lives Matter hit. Now we're trying to get a read on what the new normal might feel like. But as, as someone who's really been leading an organization through all of this, any notes of reflection, any thoughts that you have based on what the year has been like, and then thoughts on where you're trying to take things heading forward? Yeah, it's the question, right? Like, all right, you've had this whole pandemic year, like, what have you done with it? (laughs) Is it just 15 extra pounds? Or or is there some self-reflection that you've done during this time? But really, it was a tough year for everybody. And there were times of real despair. And I think mainly over feeling powerless. When you see so many bad things going on in the world, you think, what can me, puny little nerdy me do about it? And 
I wrestled and wrestled with and finally thought, you do have something, right? You have Series Ed and you have your ability to communicate and you have this desire to help people make their voices heard and make them count. And you can do that by making them count in education. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of difficulty over the year because of course there's been a push as you might expect for, uh, from our clients to find more diverse pools of people for us to create their material. But it's not a simple process that we're finding. It's not as simple as saying, okay, I'll just hire a diverse pool of people and then automatically the content's going to be diverse. But it's not mix and match. What I'm trying to do with series right now then is we're just going to invite a whole bunch of really smart young people together. And we're starting that this summer and uh, getting them together and just offering training and opening people up to the idea that they could be writers. They could Mm -hmm. be subject matter experts in the field of education and make a difference this way, even if they never thought of that before as a potential career. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do for my own benefit as well. Yeah. And I'll have some trained people that I can use for our projects, but also just... I just want that feeling for other people that they can make themselves heard. They can make a difference with their words. Yeah. And it sounds like there is a pipeline problem that you're describing here too, right? Where the people who typically find educational publishing gigs, people who write or freelance edit, there's test prep for a long time has been a, a cottage industry for folks to freelance if they're smart and find some ways to, to maybe supplement their income or, or conceivably even find a, a full-time career Um, those pathways aren't as evident to everyone out there. Yes, you're exactly right. In fact, especially in test preparation, which is a very kind of niche area, there's always difficulty finding people who can write to specialized topics, even something like high school chemistry. Mm -hmm. So uh, unfortunately, the chemists out there don't think of writing as a possibility for them. Mm -hmm. So it's always a challenge for someone like me in staffing projects like that to find the scientists and the computer scientists and the engineers and the people with those kinds of backgrounds who can also write. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that those kinds of people will never be wanting for work because it's always tricky to find and someone who can ex- explain those kinds of concepts very clearly, they're rare. But So I'd like to be able to introduce that as, as a possibility to people. And so that's what we're trying to do, just really a broad approach, inviting anybody who's got a slight interest in a, a six-week summer program and try to solve our pipeline issue that way by yeah. just going out there and grabbing people and training them. <laughs> yeah. And then the other piece is the type of educational content that people are seeking out. Yes. That's also evolving in light of the pandemic. In addition to the pipeline side of the equation, there's also what types of content are your partners looking for and what types of educational publishing are people seeking out these days? Have you noticed any changes in this transformative year in terms of the types of content that people are are seeking out? Absolutely. Diversity, equity, inclusion have obviously been like at the top of everybody's uh, mind uh, during this past year. And almost all of our clients have implemented changes at the highest levels, at the senior levels, bringing in people, VP level in church or DEI. And so we're seeing that come to us too. So when we take on new projects for a client, we often get a whole new handbook, for example, of inclusion guidelines. Obviously, I'm very encouraged because this conversation is happening and people are taking action. I'm just wondering if there's quite as much reflection going on. Maybe we're still in the reflection period. I'm not sure. It's all happening at once. We're doing it. We have to do something immediately, but then also, well, what exactly are we doing? And and so that's where I see it. 
the problem right now is that we all agree, or at least amongst the educational publishers that Series Ed works for, which is you know, most of the big publishers, this needs to be done. We need to change. We need to make sure that we have um, a more diverse, well, set of uh, voices heard and different experiences expressed in our educational material. The problem is there aren't the people that they want to write that material mm -hmm. and they want it written in the same way that they've written it for a hundred years. Mm -hmm. So it's not exactly the right medium yeah. uh, either. Not to say that print isn't the correct medium. I love print, <laughs> but the traditional educational publishing structures a reference article, for example, mm -hmm. things that were very familiar to us uh, aren't necessarily the right um, structures for the stories that we need to tell. Yeah. So I think we need to start all the way back at the beginning and get the people who want to tell their stories in at the beginning mm -hmm. and let's bring, talk to them about how they want to tell their stories and figure it out that way. What we're finding right now is the disconnect between those old models that the publishers want to fill and the new voices that don't fit those models. You come to the middle a little bit, you know. Yeah, it makes sense. This plus your previous point about social media is the other uh, dimension that I wanted to make sure we touched on within educational publishing is that particularly for the rising generations, it's, it's no longer just print that we think about when we think about providing educational content. I'd love to get some perspective from you on the power of the, the book and the role that traditional publishing outputs like books and articles have printed word, but then also some thoughts uh, around where publishing and educational publishing is heading in terms of new media formats and emerging consumer patterns around engaging with content. Any thoughts on where we are today and where you see us heading in the future? It's very interesting, Mike, because I've worked remotely, as we call it right now, uh, for more than 20 years. I've been off in a bubble communicating with people this way for a, a very long time, and it's almost been in a kind of shell in my traditional publishing bubble. And coming mm. up in this year, when so much is going on, I'm honestly excited about what I see. This is a revolutionary time, that kind of excitement that you have from living through a period like this with so much tumult. It's, it's scary, but it's also, if you can ride that wave, thrilling to mm -hmm. be here for this kind of transformation. And what I, what I mean by that is I, I think people, they look at things like Twitter and there was always like, oh, that just devalues the, it devalues the written word. And I, I certainly would never be one to, to do that being the English major book lover, et cetera, et cetera. No, I think the written word remains as powerful as it ever was. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that we're finding evidence that you see that all the time. A, a tweet can topple a person's whole marketing career or something like that. And so it's extremely powerful. And that's the consensus that you can see has been emerging. The content is king, that storytelling is important. And with these kinds of platforms available to people, they don't need a publisher. They can make their own book. They can tell yeah. their own story. And so that's already happening. Mm -hmm. And it's already transforming the way people consume books and, and consume words. So it's just not necessarily in educational publishing right now, but mm -hmm. I think it's going to happen because yeah. if you really wanted to change the world, you have to change the way children experience it, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like you, you teach your children how to experience the world. If you teach them something new and different, you've changed the world. And then are you finding that the rising generations, the students that you're trying to design educational content for, that they're seeking out 
things that are more similar to their experience outside of an educational context? How do you build educational experiences that are compelling enough to compete with TikTok and gaming and the, the emerging social media? Obviously, it's going to be tough to hang, but it, it, it does seem like storytelling really permeates all of this. And I would imagine if you're trying to build future-proof educational content, you have to be aware of the broader world around you. Absolutely. I think that the younger generation and that the kids that I've been talking to are kids, I'm sorry, college students, young, young men and women and all the young people that I've been talking to, they really love the idea of making their voices heard. That's no surprise to you, I'm sure. But they also crave guidance like a, a mentor, which is the flip side of what I'm trying to do, because I would like to bring as real publishing fogies go to see that like that feeds to go off to the new generation and they're very eager for that too they want to learn from people yeah. um, and technology like this allows us to really put those people right in touch with the folks that could help them and guide them and you know and give them that kind of firsthand work experience industry experience encouragement that kind of thing so mm -hmm. that's a, another aspect that i would like to set up you touched on a little bit mentorship and helping develop other leaders you're coming across with great humility here but you are someone who created something out of nothing you have people who work for you you are in a leadership position how do you think about navigating the leadership challenges of these difficult times and helping others who who you maybe see a little bit of yourself say 20 30 years ago and how do you think about helping rising talent navigate the, the complexities of, of our age? Well, first, never say when I was your age before <laughs> starting a sentence. <laughs> I think it's so exciting to be around, around that generation. I guess we're talking Generation Z right now. They're so full of plans, so full of great energy. The folks that I've been talking to are so smart and so dedicated. And it really is, and you say I'm speaking with humility. Well, it's humbling. It's humbling to be around them. They're they're I feel like they're better than I ever was at that age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like to learn from them. They're so, they so much want to learn from me. Mm. And they are so much more fulfilled by seeing their ideas come into action. So I think leading this generation is about giving to them your knowledge with their, they're so grateful to receive, but also really trying to listen to them and don't automatically, you know, think, oh, that's crazy or wild or too TikTok-ish or something like that. And give them a long leash because some really cool groundbreaking things can happen that way. So that's how I feel about it. Just kind of smart people, try to give them good direction and just see where they go. Yeah, that's great. It does remind me of the other dimensions of uh, diversity and inclusion that are, are showing up a lot as themes nowadays. Neurodiversity, universal design for learning is something we've talked about uh, a number of different times in, on this show as a trend that's emerging, where if you design from inception to be inclusive and flexible and not distancing, not othering of people who might have special accommodations they have to work through. It just changes the whole level of engagement and level of belonging and connectedness that people can get out of consuming your content. As someone who's been in the industry for a long time and is doing this type of work on the regular, I'd love to get some perspective on how to build inclusive content and how to think about the awakening that's happening around all the different ways in which people might need to engage. I, I think the process for making sure that you have true universal design is exactly what we've talked about earlier, is making sure that the, the stakeholders or the people who, who ultimately would be the, the users of such a product have 
their opinions heard from the very beginning, from the moment someone takes a pen out and starts writing things on a whiteboard, the people that it's being designed for need to be involved. And we, we find that's usually not the case right yeah. now. That's obviously step one. Mm -hmm. And I think that takes care of a lot of the issues right there, because obviously you can have people say, I need something that does this, or you can actually test case it as you build. So that's really the best way to do it. Although we're finding now that some clients are building a bunch, maybe getting halfway through and then going, aha, wait, I think we should maybe ask some other people, uh, you know, about what we need to do here. So it is being thought about. And I think that's good. And I, I think that's talk about trending in education. That's a trend that's going to continue. So I'm very encouraged by that. I think universal design is going to be something that is a necessity for everyone. Yeah. And then as we're looking ahead, are there any new and emerging uh, capabilities or trends within educational uh, publishing or in education more broadly that are capturing your imagination these days you think people should be paying attention to? Really, I can't stop thinking about my own thing, which is not even a trend. I would just be able to build a do-it-yourself model for educational content development. Yeah. Because what I see is that there's no reason that we can't make our own. It doesn't have to go through a big publisher in order to be certified okay. We can mm -hmm. set up a new kind of system where educational content providers can be much smaller or much more focused on a particular area and create their content and get it out to a wider audience. And I would like series Ed to be able to develop the tools and provide the support that those kinds of educational providers need while continuing to support our big clients with their projects as well. And, and if folks want to learn more about Series Ed, where should they go? Please go to uh, series-ed.com series-ed.com. And last question is just more about the future of work. What's your prediction or perspective on folks who want to write and create instructional content heading into the, the future? I, I think that it's an exciting time to be you. I'm excited. And it has ever since I started in this business, there's been this sort of, oh, it's the, the death knell for publishing. And I, I don't think so. There's just been a really big transformation. It's a great time to be a good writer. And that's the difference. And I think that's what people are realizing right now is that content isn't just something you just rip off and there it is. There's some content for you. Good content is compelling. Good content doesn't need to be high tech. It's just good because it works at what it's doing. And if you have that power, it's a good time to be a writer of any type, you know, yeah. in any subject. Yeah, it's golden age for storytellers. And we, exactly. need, we need storytellers in the world of education. And it's great to tie that back to your origin story as someone who really wanted to make an impact by telling stories. And, and clearly you have. Cynthia Knabel, thanks so much for joining us on Trending in Education. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. Cynthia Knabel is the founder and CEO of Series Ed. Got some interesting stuff going on. Check them out at series-ed.com. Hopefully you're enjoying the conversation. If you like what you're hearing, share the good word. Tell a friend, write us a review. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. <laughs>